let's test it out. All right, everybody, thanks again for joining us for the Let's Testify podcast. And um, today I'm here with Pastor Damon Stevenson, the preacher lawyer uh, from Jackson, Mississippi, Greater Bethlehem Temple Church, which is your home church, um, but the church you pastor is. Victory Church of Duck Hill in uh, Duck Hill, Mississippi. Victory Church of Duck Hill, Duck Hill, Mississippi. That's a funny name for a city, but (laughs) (laughs) when you say that, they probably be like, where? <laughs> uh, so let's 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 talk for a second, Pastor Stevenson. You you're um, I, I introduced you as the preacher lawyer <laughs> because I don't know if maybe it's just me. You don't find too many um, preachers slash lawyers. Is that just me or you? no? I I don't think there are a whole lot uh, of us out there. I have met a few, uh, and I, I was actually the first person that I knew, you know, growing up in the church to become a lawyer, and then ended up. Uh, in ministry, I think it's a unique calling being able to serve people both spiritually and naturally. Though, so you were a lawyer before you uh, caught what's called in the ministry. Well, so I mean, I grew up in the church, and I got saved when I was fourteen years old. Okay. And uh, I had a, I tell people I had a really good high school, had a rough college, and then uh, the Lord brought me back in law school. <laughs> And uh, when I was I was in law school, and I don't know if you know Deacon Herman Wilson, he's uh, dead and gone. He was the Sunday the superintendent of the Sunday school department, okay. and uh, he called me one day. I was walking to the fellowship hall, and he said, "Brother Damon, step into the principal's office." And he put me to the side, and he said, "God had blessed you. You're a young man. You need to be doing more for the Lord." And so he made me start teaching Sunday school, the best thing ever for me, because I'll be honest it forced me to start studying on a consistent, regular basis. Changed my life, literally mm. changed my life. Mm, mm. So you were called, you, you were 14 when you received the Holy Ghost. Describe that experience for me real quick as, as, a, as a 14-year-old receiving the Holy Ghost. Well, you know, uh, I was blessed that I grew up in the church. And in my mind, I always knew I was going to be saved. I didn't think I was going to get saved till I was about 40. <laughs> I said, you know, I'm going I'm to have a good life and I'm going to enjoy it. And then when I get everything out of my system, because this is one thing, I came up in a true holiness church. And so we knew the standard. We knew that uh, being saved was not just coming to church on Sunday. There was a lifestyle behind it. And, you know, when you're young and you know that, you say, well, I'm going I'm to do everything, get it out of my system. And then when it's all out of my system, then I'll get saved when I get it all out of my system. I'm so glad that God's plans are so much better <laughs> uh, than our plans. And so I remember it was uh, 1997 at the temple, uh, Great Bethlehem Temple, and there was a revival. And young people, several, I mean several young people got saved uh, 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 during that time period. And I remember a, a preacher preached a message on a Thursday night, and his subject was, tonight is your night. Mm. And it ended up being the night I got the Holy Ghost. Awesome, awesome. <clears throat> tonight is your night. Well, so how long have you been pastoring? So now around five years, it was a very unique situation in that uh, Bishop Forts, there was a church that did not have a pastor, and uh, Bishop Forts and, uh, truly has the heart of churches. And so he did not want to see that church uh, go down. And so he said, I'm going to become the senior pastor. And uh, I am, after I become the senior pastor, my first act is going to be to make you the pastor. <laughs> and so that's kind of how it went. Awesome. I have you ever asked him, um, because Greater Bethlehem Temple is a, is a large church, and, and I'm sure there were many ministers and uh, elders um, in the congregation. Why did he choose you? Well, you know, so started off when, when he first took over the church, it was kind of four different preachers going alternating. We would each take a Sunday and go. And I was fine with it uh, because I was, I, I was highly involved at Greater Bethlehem Temple. We had been there my whole life. And uh, I remember uh, one Sunday, one of the mothers asked me after church from the church in Duck Hill. She said, are you the one or should we look for another? <laughs> <laughs> and I just kind of played it off. And uh, he called me. Uh, he came. He actually came here to, to my office one day, him and uh, I don't know, Tim Foster. They came and uh, he said, I need to go ahead and put somebody permanent there at Duck Hill. He said, are, are you up for the assignment? And that's how it happened. Mm, wow. So have you uh, faced any like really difficult um, spiritual moments there, I guess, trying to 
find your footing as a pastor? Pastoring is, is, is really a very difficult job because um, you are trying to lead the church. You're trying to lead people. Uh, while at the same time, you have your own personal issues, your own personal struggles going on. And, and, and this is the thing. I, I, in my mindset, have never, I never felt good enough to be a pastor, right? Because you're dealing with your own person. Because being a pastor does not exempt you from the same <laughs> struggles that everybody has. And just trying to please God, trying to fulfill the call of God. And, he, you know, I have a family. I have a wife. I have children. And so trying to, you know, I have a natural career. So, so, so trying to juggle, juggle all of that and then at the same time lead a church. Because this is the thing about it. When you are leading a church, you want to see growth. You want to see development. You want to see people being saved. And so, but the flip side of it is you're trying to make sure you're doing it God's way, right? Not just by, you know, the contemporary standards of the church or, you know, I, you know I'm real big on I don't get my messages from YouTube and, you know, I don't copy other. My hardest thing for me is every time I step in the pulpit, I want what I call a fresh word. Mm. Like, Lord, what, you know, what is it that you want the people uh, to walk away with? And one of the things that I'm learning that's interesting, and I heard Bishop Gates see it at the convention, and he articulated it. I had thought about it, but he articulated it in a way that, you know, I, I had not preached articulated. And it's true, every preacher, when you go to the pulpit, you have a message of what you think you might preach. Mm -hmm. But I can't tell you how many times I've had notes, had messages, and Lord, like, okay, we're going to do something different. And you're like, Lord, but I ain't studying nothing different. <laughs> <laughs> but what's interesting is to the people that hear that message, they never know that when you were walking up the steps of the pulpit, you didn't know that that's what you were going to preach. Mm. And and that's how you know it was God, because people are like, man, it was, it was blessing, it was encouraging. And you really can't take credit for it because you didn't put it together. You had literally no part of it. Wow. That's interesting, and, and we're gonna talk about one of your messages in, in particular, um, but that's that's an interesting um, idea about you know being able to, to walk up uh, to the pulpit and not know because that would seem to be for a lot of preachers, a lot of people in general, <clears throat> one of the most frightening things ever. Like I, when I was in school, um, I took public speaking in college. I'm sure every, everybody that went to college probably had to take public speaking, but. Uh, one of the things that's always a hindrance for a person from a per that hinders a person from being an effective public speaker is fear. You know, stand up to the pulpit. They say, just imagine something. Look at this one person. You know, but as a preacher, it's different because you're not just a public speaker. You're actually a representative of God. Like you got you know message to the people from God. Like just talk about that. And I think it's Malachi that talks about being a messenger of the Lord and the people seeking the law at His mouth. And, you know, there is always that component of fear anytime you are addressing a crowd or an audience. But this is the thing. You start off, and, and there is that initial hesitation of fear. But as, as you hear preachers say, I feel my hip. As your hip kicks in, <laughs> you know, it moves from the fear to the doing everything you can to deliver what's in you. Because, I, and I heard it said like this. I, I remember I took classes at Wesley Biblical Seminary. And one of, one of the things that one of the professors said that I never forgot, and it's an analogy that I often use. So if you if you a fisher, you don't have to call the reservoir and say, hey, I'm coming fishing today. Make sure that you got some fish. <laughs> it, it's already there. Mm -hmm. And so he said, you know, being a preacher, you should be like a reservoir. Scripture says study to sow your shelf approved. It doesn't say study to preach. Mm -hmm. And that's the difference. We study to preach. We study to teach. We don't study to show ourselves approved because if I'm studying to, to if I'm studying for myself to be approved, then there's going to be consistent regular studying. And so I'm I'm studying putting the word in. I'm studying putting the word in. I'm studying putting the word in. When you cut me, I can only bleed what's in me. Mm -hmm. So if the word is in me, right, I don't have to have an outline. And, 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 and don't get me wrong, the vast majority of messages I preach, I have an outline. There is. There's a great deal of study. I'm not one of those preachers that advocate just preaching off the top of your head. Mm -hmm. I don't believe it, right? Because Scripture says again, study to show yourself approved. Mm -hmm. But when you have when you have a lifestyle of consistently studying, when you step up there and the spirit starts moving, 
what's in you, what is in you is going to come out of mm-hmm. you. And so that's what I encourage preach make sure it is make sure it's in you because when it's in you, when you're dropped in that environment, it's gonna come out. Mm-hmm. I wanna pivot for a moment. I wasn't gonna go here, but but um I think it's a it's a it's a good point. You said you studied at Wesley Biblical Seminary. Um I was having a conversation with somebody actually just earlier today and they asked me uh, would I go to seminary or they basically said you should go to seminary. Uh, in my personal view, I've always been resistant to that. I think, and I think we share <laughs> a, a common, if I would say, lineage or yes, history, yes, you yes. know, church-wise. You know, I grew up under Bishop Coleman. I think Bishop Coleman might have had an eighth grade education. Been one of the largest Af- African American churches in the state of Mississippi, yeah, yeah. multi million dollar campus with the eighth grade education. Mm. Uh, traditionally, in our circles, there has not been a big push for formal biblical training. Mm-hmm. And don't get me wrong, I'm I, I'm not a person that advocates and says you definitely need it. Mm-hmm. The Bible was clear when the disciples uh, taught; people could tell they had been with Jesus. Right, right, right. right. So I, I I don't think you have to have biblical training per se to be effective or to be used by God. You'll never hear me say that. But the question becomes, if this is going to be my craft, if this is going to be my trade, do I want to be the best at it? Do mm. I want to be best equipped to fulfill the assignment and the call of God on my life? Mm. Right. E- even from a natural perspective, as an attorney, we have to have continuing leg- legal education hours. Why? Because we're always improving ourselves. We're always trying to learn more. Well, I don't think ministry is any different. Mm. Now, this is the thing. What I learned from going to seminary was things about uh, it, it helped me appreciate nuances that I had not looked at before. Mm-hmm. The Bible is a history book. People forget that. Mm-hmm. It is literally a history book. Now, this is the thing about it. I, I know very little about Jewish history. Mm-hmm. There are certain things that if I know about Jewish history, when I read certain scriptures, it will give me a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And it may give me a perspective that's more in line with what the Jewish writer had in mind when he was he pinning that scripture, right? And, and, and even, uh, I, I remember I heard one of my professors say something that I never thought about. Even the geography of the Bible tells the story. Mm. The Red Sea was worried. It, the Red Sea has a very vital uh, a role in the history of the children of Israel. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's vital. And so even geography has, and we don't, sometimes we don't think about that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Uh, but and, and that's what seminary hips you kind of appreciate. It, it, it doesn't it doesn't teach you how to be saved, yeah. right? But it does help me explain some things in a different manner that I may not have had that insight to before. Yeah, you get better historical cultural context that makes the scripture make more sense within the actual context it was written. Exactly, and I and I and I don't think that that's a bad thing because what it does is there are certain people that it will help you be able to reach them because they're going to say, if you're going to talk to me about the Bible, mm-hmm. tell me what are your credentials or qualifications, mm-hmm. right? And so I think it's just an added layer that you can use in ministering. Again, you don't have to have it to be effective, mm-hmm. but if it's something that will make you more effective, yeah. where is the harm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a good point. Um, yeah, that was just a just a thought that, that because, uh, like I said, I was li- literally having that conversation um, earlier. But um, let's pivot for a moment and, and, and talk about, um, let's see, let's, let's talk about this message that, that, I, that I wanted to bring up, man. It was, <laughs> it was something that uh, you preached back in April at Greater Bethlehem Temple, um, and the message, the title of the message was? The Cost of an Angry God. The Cost of an Angry God. Now, like I told you, I was sitting at home, me and my wife were sitting at home, and we were watching it, and I promise you, man, we were moved, uh, I mean, glued to the TV. <laughs> um, can you give the listener a, a, just a synopsis of what that message was? Well, and I'll say this. So there was a revival uh, at Greatham Temple, and uh, Bishop Forson uh, asked me to be one of the speakers. And I thought, are you sure? You know, you know, revival, people want to hear David Hollis. They want to hear Lambert Gates. <laughs> they don't want to hear me. <laughs> and he said, yeah, it's in my spirit. And so what's interesting is uh, – 
I remember one morning, it was a Friday morning, and I was in Natchez for a meeting, and I was there by myself because my wife and kids did not go with me. And the Lord woke me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and said, start taking notes. Mm. And, and that's just how the Lord sometimes deals with me. It was Because I, I didn't know what I was going to preach. And the Lord woke me up and just said, start taking notes. And he started talking. And I was literally just started going through a legal pay. I think it's very important, and throw this little nugget in for preachers, to keep a pen and pencil handy. Because sometimes the Lord will just start downloading stuff in yes, your spirit. Absolutely. And the natural, you're not go- you are not going to remember that, right? But if you have a pen. And so the Lord just started dealing with me about that. And, and, and when you look at David, there were some things. David was not a perfect person by any means. But David understood God. Mm-hmm. David understood how God thought, how God operated. And, 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 and there was a portion where God was angry with Israel. And it was visible. They saw the angel. I mean, they literally saw the angel with the sword in his hand. And uh, there was a person that was said, hey, David, look. That David understood when God is angry, God don't want to shout. God don't want to <laughs> run. God don't want somebody running around. When, when God is angry, he wants you to address the source of his anger. And David understood, if I am going to uh, satisfy God, I cannot offer him something that costs me nothing. Mm. Because the whole Old Testament Bible is based upon a system of sacrifices. Mm-hmm. That's hard for this generation to understand because we don't like sacrifice. And, and, and this is the thing about it. Giving up something that I don't want is not a sacrifice. You know, when God was dealing with Abraham, he told him to offer your, 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 your only son. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is who I want you to offer up. I, I'm, I'm going to take something that you really, really want. And so David understood something about the nature of God. When God is angry, I have to give him what he wants mm-hmm. and nothing else is going to suffice him. And so David was, uh, he understood, number one, that God God gets angry. We don't appreciate, and, and, and I understand the nature of, of, of which I'm saying this, God is not emotional, but God does have emotions. Mm. God gets angry. And I, I think sometimes we have been so fixated and consumed with a one-sided message about the love of God because God is a loving God. Jeremiah, he talks about, I've loved you with an everlasting love. So you cannot deny the love of God, but you do a disservice to the people when you preach a one-dimension God. Mm. All right. And so God is a very loving God, but God also gets angry. One of the things that I don't think people realize is that what makes hell so hot is that it's, uh, uh, every fire needs a source, right? Mm-hmm. Like if we're going to start a fire, we got to have something to ignite it. What makes, what, what makes hell so hot? Is that it's not the source is not gasoline, the source is the anger of God, right? Wow. That's the source of the fire in hell, the fire anger. Is kindled in my anger. And, and so that tells me, God's angry <laughs> is very powerful, right? And when I was dealing with when, when the Lord was showing me that He was showing me how that you have to understand, right? God takes I'm sorry, God takes I'm wanted, I want to do better. God does not take, this is how I am, and you got to take me or leave me. Wow. God, God does not take, you know, if you don't, I'm not going to change. And, uh, uh, no, when God is angry, <laughs> he going to express. And, and, and something else that I learned, God is not a person that sits quiet when he's angry. Mm-hmm. God has the ability to express his anger. Right. And when he does, how you respond is literally a matter of life or death. And, and one of the things that, that, that I saw as, as a young preacher, the Lord helped me when, with that message. Because a lot of times people don't realize the message really does minister to the preacher first. Yes. And, and I'll be honest, <laughs> you know, so, some of my best messages have really been God talking to me and I just shared the notes with the congregation. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, I'm just being honest. And uh, one of the things that I saw, David understood that God is angry and we've got to do something and 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 that brought about a spirit of repentance that said whatever i'm not gonna i'm not just gonna give you some nickel and dime you and make you you know try try to negate this david understood the seriousness of he said i cannot offer god 
something that costs cost me, me nothing. nothing. I, I just can't. God, I need God to know that I know he's serious, right? I need God to know that I understand what's at stake. Mm -hmm. And God, I want you to know I'm going to do whatever it takes to satisfy your anger. And, and so that's why we talk about the cost of an angry God. It's going to cost you something to be saved. It's going to cost you something. And people don't understand that because, yes, every Calvary paid for everything. Mm -hmm. The cross paid for everything. But that does not mean that there's not a cost that I'm going to have to pay. Right. That, that, that's why Scripture encourages us to count up the cost, mm -hmm. right? And, 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 I, and I think that David understood that, and we sometimes forget that God was angry with what he saw. God was angry with what was going on. And so the question becomes, how do you deal with an angry God? You know, if you're married, you know when your spouse is upset, mm -hmm. right? Ignoring it is not going to fix it, <laughs> <laughs> right? At some point, you've got to address the... I'm going to be honest. Even if you say, I'm sorry, and don't address the root issue, you really haven't dealt with the Still problem. Got the problem. And, and, and so I think David was very clear in sending a message to God, and he was also teaching us how to deal with God. When God is angry, you got to be willing to go to the stream, even if it's cost you even if there is a great price that has to be paid, mm -hmm. it does not matter. Whatever it takes, because I can't afford to stay uh, in the anger of God, mm -hmm. right? That people were people were literally dropping like you talk about dropping like flies. The Bible talks about how many people died. I mean, there was literally an angel standing That's with right. a sword over the land, and so David understood y'all this is not a time for business as usual this is not a time for us just to go on with regular church service we've got to give god something that we've never given him mm. man that's that's amazing that's a that's a powerful thought because like you said we don't normally think about the anger of god and um and the other another point that you brought out was the fact that the cost is that of course the cavalry paid it all as the song says um, but an example of that, I think, is dealing with baptism because, you know, people don't understand that you have to personally apply the blood of Jesus to yourself. Like, he doesn't force you to accept what he did, right? Like, you got to personally apply it to yourself. How, how do you think we can get people to really embrace the, the, the fullness of the idea and the concept of I think that we have to preach the Bible in its fullness because even like you mentioned baptism, Jesus was baptized. He said, you know, it behooves us to fulfill all righteousness. I think this modern theology of selective preaching has done a great disservice to society because people don't really, people really don't know God like they think they do. Sadly, sometimes even in the church, and I've heard people say things that are almost an abomination because when you understand scripture, right, how you live matters. And, and understand that. I preached about an angry God, but I also know that, Lord, if thou should mark iniquity, who should stand? Mm. And so, so the problem is there has to be a balance, right? Mm -hmm. God doesn't hate us, right? But as a parent, what makes you angry? Like, I know what I put in my children. I know what I do for them. I know what they're capable of. <laughs> if my children bring home certain grades, I get angry. Why? Because I know what's in you. I'm not angry at you because I hate you. I'm angry at you because I know what's in you. I know what you can do. And I'm angry at you. I have my house. Mm -hmm. I have my job. I'm angry at you because what you're doing, you're hurting yourself. Mm. You're limiting. So that's what makes not what makes me what makes me angry is my love for you. It's, it's not that I dislike you. It's not that I want to see you fail. What's making me angry is that I want so bad to see you succeed and I see you working against yourself, right? And God is the I don't think we understand that. What makes God angry, so angry with us is the fact that he loves us so. Mm. And he knows what's in us. You don't get angry with a person if you know they can't do better. Right. But when I know you can do better, then I'm angry. right? And so I, I think that sometimes we don't really understand that. What fuels the anger of God is his love for us and his desire to see us do better and be better. Mm. That's powerful. That the, his his love is what fuels his anger. And oftentimes, as you said earlier, people try to pit the love against the anger and say he can't be angry because he loves. Because I mean, 
again, most of our feelings or emotions, we're made in the image of God. And so just look at us, right? So if you're married, you're a man, and you go home, and there's another man at your house, and you love your wife, you love your wife, there's going to be an emotional response. response. Not because I don't care about you, but because I do love, love you, right? What, 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 what drives me is my love for you, right? I, I want us to be together. I want this to work, right? And this is something that is coming against what I'm trying to do. That's what makes me angry, right? God is the God is the exact same because we don't realize all of our emotions and our intellect. We get that from God because we're made in His image. Your children, you have nothing but a desire to see them succeed, mm -hmm. and when you see them doing something that's gonna harm it, any good parent is gonna be bothered by that. And any good parent, I'm not just going to be bothered, but I'm going to do something about it because I know what you don't know. I see what you can't see. And I understand the self-destructive behavior that even if you enjoy it right now, I understand on down the road, this is going to bring self-destruction. So I've got to do something, right, to change your course. God is the same way that... <clears throat> I, I think what motivates God, even when the, the Bible is clear, when God chastises us, when God intervenes, God is not doing that because he hates us. If God didn't love, I'm, I'm going to tell you something. When God don't really like you, the Bible is clear. The Bible talks about how he gave them over to a reprobate mind to mm -hmm. do what they wanted. When God stops loving you, he takes his hand off you. Mm. That, that's God whooping you is not the worst thing that he can do. Ooh, Lord Jesus. Because if he's whooping you, he's trying to correct you, which means there is still hope. There's still a possibility. Once, when God, God, you know, God told Samuel, don't even pray for Saul. That, when God says, take their name off the prayer list, I'm not going to be bothered. <laughs> That's the sad, I mean, that is literally the saddest, scariest thing that could happen. As long as God is being involved, you are right. You got hope. But when God says, I'm done, and I'm literally taking my hands off, that, that to me is the saddest. That's why David, I talked about it Sunday. David had messed up. He knew he had messed up. David didn't say, don't take, the, don't take the kingdom. He didn't say, don't take my riches. He said, don't take your spirit. spirit. Because I need, at the end of the day, I need your spirit to be saved. I need your spirit in, in order to make it. Because your spirit is what gives me relationship with you, right? Mm. And so, God, you can do whatever you want, but just don't take your spirit. And when you understand it, it gives you a, a different perspective. God, I don't mind the punishment. I don't mind you uh, chastising me, but just don't give up on me. Don't, 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 don't just take your hands off me because that's and, the scary and part. And David had that, that experience with that because of Saul, right? He was the one that was anointed because of Saul's rebellion. And I think David saw what happened when the spirit leaves. Leaves, yeah. And, and David said, look, I, I don't care how bad it gets. But as long as I got your spirit, I got hope. It's gonna be all right. Yeah, yeah. That's the. the I, I, it seems like the. We should, in therefore, value the spirit above anything and everything. I think when you understand that it is the spirit that gives me relationship with God, it's the spirit that gives me fellowship. And at the end of the day, if I'm gonna be saved, it's the spirit that's gonna get me up out of here. And that's why David said, look, just, just don't take your spirit. And when you understand that, it gives you an appreciation for God's spirit in your life. But Pastor Steve, this, this, is, this brings up another issue because we're living in a day and time where many in the church world feel like the spirit is the extra thing. The not, it's not necessary. You know, it's, it's, the, it's the extra blessing. <laughs> well, those people don't understand the Bible because I heard one of the late bishops say this, and I never forgot it. He said the Holy Ghost was so important. When Jesus came back, he had basically a saints meeting with his disciples. He told them to stop preaching, stop doing everything, go to Jerusalem, and just wait till you be endowed with power. Jesus stopped the church from doing ministry. He said, I need y'all to stop. Go and wait until you receive that power. After that power came, you would see them immediately go back to preaching. Mm. If Jesus thought that you needed the Holy Ghost in order to do the work, who are we to change wow. that message? Wow, wow. He told him to stop, wait. 
because <laughs> they were ready to go, right? They was asking, when is the kingdom coming? Is now the time? And just ask him all these questions. He said, uh-uh, just, just wait. Don't do nothing. Um, I remember having a conversation with, um, I think, a pastor uh, about about the spirit. And again, as the, the idea is the spirit is not really necessary. You know, it's, you can be saved without it. And um, in, in, in one sense, they say the spirit is only for the gifts and um i was watching there's a documentary i don't know if you've seen this this was on i believe amazon prime um there's a documentary called cessationist and you understand what the the there's a segment of people that's been labeled cessationist because they believe that the gifts of the spirit have ceased there's no more tongues there's no more healing there's there's no more gift of faith all those things have have ceased and so we're we're living in a in an environment, in a time frame where we got to encourage people to not just believe on Christ and, and, you know, shake the preacher's hand or repeat this prayer, but we got to get them to the spirit. As a pastor, how do you how do you do that? Well, I think you have to teach and preach scripture. I mean, he, the word says, I'm going to pour out my spirit among all flesh in the last days. Like, like, like that's Bible. On the day of Pentecost, when they were in the upper room, everybody got the Holy Ghost. It, everybody including Mary Jesus mother. I, I mean people people forget that right if everybody got the Holy Ghost then and, and, and as you walk throughout the book of Acts there's a continual outpouring of the Holy Ghost continual there is no stopping period of that in scripture right mm-hmm. because even what Jesus said greater work shall you do mm-hmm. right what is going to empower me to do the greater work. It is the spirit. And, and, and I, I'm concerned because I'm going to be honest. The reality of the matter is, and I know this scripturally, but I also know this from my personal experience. You cannot live right without the Holy Ghost. Cannot do it. And, and, and I'm concerned because if you have, one thing I tell people, and, I, and I've learned this since I, um, you know, I got a little toolbox at the house. Mm. I'm, not, I'm not much of a handyman, <laughs> but I got a little toolbox because this is what I realized doing most jobs. At least fifty percent of completing a job is having the right tools. Mm. I, I mean, you got to have the right tools in order to do the job, right? That's why when somebody a mechanic or somebody come, they normally have a toolbox or they got a truck because they don't. I don't know what I'm gonna have to do, but I know I'm gonna need some tools, right? And if I if I had the right tool, I can get the job done. Mm-hmm. When you're trying to live right without the Holy Ghost. You're trying to do a job that you don't have the tools for. Because it's, it's not in this flesh. It's not natural for me to do right. This flesh wants to touch stuff I'm not supposed to touch. Mm-hmm. It wants to look at stuff I'm not supposed to look at. Mm-hmm. Play with stuff. I'm... You think about Adam and Eve. How many, you think about all the trees in humanity you got. All kind of fruit trees. I mean, literally. How many trees? Because, see, we get caught up on the one tree that God told them not to mm-hmm. eat from. God gave them one no, but how many yeses did they have? Wow. How many other trees were they that they could have eaten from freely without consequence? But what tree did they eat from? The one tree that they were not. (laughs) And before we beat them up, (laughs) most of us in our lives, we want the stuff that we're not supposed to have. Mm. And so then I need need something to help me with me, right? I need something to help me, discipline me. I need. That's why the Bible says uh, the Spirit shall bring all things to your remembrance. Sometimes I get in a situation and my feelings and my emotions get the best of me. And I'm about to say something or do something that is not in alignment with the Word of God. Mm. I need something to remind me, wait a minute, you saved. Wait a minute, you're supposed to be the light. Wait a minute, you can't do them like they did you. And so that's why he said he's going to bring all things to your remembrance. When I'm about to say the wrong thing, the Holy Ghost reminds me that I got to talk like a saint even when I don't My want God. to. And, and so I, so do we not need that nowadays? Do, do, do we, I mean, is, is there anybody that says I can do right all the time by myself, right? Most of us, that's not our experience. We need help. We need and, help. That, and that comes through the Spirit. Hmm. You said earlier that uh, another key aspect of the spirit is relationship. It is through the spirit that we have relationship, and and relationship is uh, grows through experience, right? Can you give me an example or a time of a of a just a, a real indelible experience um, that you've had with God 
uh, at some point during your walk, you said you, you, you received the Holy Ghost at age 14. And so at some point during your walk, I'm sure you've had um, an experience where he just, you know, it, it, he made it very clear. I am who I am. Right. Can you tell us about that? Well, you know, I, at, at this point, it's probably, I've had so, <laughs> you know, so many experiences because, you know, as a child of God, you do deal with situations that if you didn't have that relationship, you would throw in the towel. Mm. You, you would say, I'm, it, it ain't worth it. I'm, I'm out of here. I, did, I didn't sign up for all of this. Mm. And, and when the spirit is truly operating in your life, there are moments when you will clearly hear the voice of of God. I, I had a situation. I, I taught a Bible class last week at the temple and it was based on uh, my subject was based on something the Lord told me last year. I was dealing with something. I didn't know what to do. Didn't know what to do, how things were going to work out. And the Lord told me the, the thought that dropped in my mind was the faith to do nothing. See, a lot of times it takes, you know, people say I got faith to step out and do this or faith. What do you do when it seems like the world is about to fall apart? If you don't make some move and you don't know what to do, and God say, just don't do nothing. You're like, God, I, I got to do something. I got to. <laughs> and the enemy is whispering in your ear, you better do this. You better do that. You better do that. And God says, stand still and see the salvation of God at work. And, 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 and the Lord told me that sometimes you have to have the, I, I mean, I heard God say that. You have to have the faith to do nothing. God I'm just going to wait on you. I'm going to trust you. I'm not, I'm not going to move and get out of your will because pressure of life is, 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 you know, trying to cause me to make a rash decision when I ain't heard nothing from you. And, and as we walk with God, I mean, you know, we have those experiences where we're dealing with things like literally. I, would, I, I, I remember one time I was dealing with something, and it was almost like the devil was just whispering in, your, in my ear, you know, this is going to fail. This is everybody's gonna see it. What are people gonna think? And, and the Lord just dropped in my spirit. The devil is a lie. Mm. And that just if he a lie, I don't have to believe it. And see, this is one thing I love about God. Preachers preach whole messages. God don't preach whole messages. Most of the time, God will drop one thought, one sentence, one one mm -hmm. little. You know, people sit up and say, God. You sit up and say, God told me this whole book. That, that, that's a sign. It may not be. <laughs> it may not be. That probably wasn't God. That wasn't probably, God. But God will tell you one sentence, but it'll be a whole message in that one sentence. And you, you will know exactly what he's saying and understand what he is, the message he's trying to give you from that one sentence. Mm, mm, that, that's a key point because um, that is the difference between the God of Elijah and the God of the false prophets. It was a voice. It was him talking. That, 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 it, 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 <laughs> I remember having, uh, uh, teaching the Bible study one time about that and how um, the, a relationship is built on uh, communication, right? And it grows through experiences, but the communication is what makes you know. If you, get, if you are in a relationship with a real person, an intelligent being, then there's going to be some communication. And the fact that the false gods are not just false because they're, you know, they, they don't, they're not real and, you know, but the fact that they don't speak is what makes you know that there's nothing to them, that there's no reality. Because if there's a real God who, ha who wants a real relationship, you're going to know it because there's going to be a voice. And when uh, Elijah goes into the, runs into the mountains, right, and, and the Bible's throat, what do you say, the earthquake comes by, the fire comes by, the strong wind comes by, and, and the Lord was in none of those things. And he had just dropped the fire, you know, at the altar. <laughs> and, and you thought, okay, that got to be God right there. And the Lord says, I, it's, I, all I want to do is talk to you. You know, the interesting thing about God that I think we often forget, you know, God, Moses said, you know, who do I tell him that sent me? And he said, tell him I am that I am. But this is the interesting part of this story. When Moses completed his assignment with Pharaoh, everybody knew who God was. Mm. God will reveal himself, right? God, God told him, look, I'm going to make a cry that have never been heard before. And when they woke up and their firstborn was dead, they knew that their God was real. All Moses did was speak words. But God did the action. Mm. God, God proves himself. Yeah. That's why scripture says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, again, preachers preach, but God proves himself. God proves to people he is real and he can do 
what he says he can do. And he he's unmatched at his ability to be God. Mm. He's he's good at being God. Huh. <laughs> um Pastor Stevenson, man, I'm 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 gonna stop. I don't wanna take too much yeah. more of your time, man. I really appreciate you. Uh, for taking time to to share with us on this podcast, um, what you, any any other words or final words you want to leave with our listeners? Well, no, thank you for this. And you know, I, I think things like this people don't appreciate it, but they're so important because the scripture talks about how faith come by hearing, right? And if we are going to build faith, we got to talk about it. Faith is faith is a language, mm. right? Faith is a language, and so the more we talk about it, the more people hear it the more the will of God can be done. And I think it's so important that in this day and time, the truth be going out. You know, I, I listen to you guys sometimes on Saturday when I'm in the car. Not in point one. In this day and time, there are so many false voices. Yeah. There are so many voices that are not telling the fullness of part, bits and pieces of truth, but not the fullness of truth. And so I think every opportunity we have to give when I say truth, I'm talking about biblical truth. Yeah. Truth that can be changed, that can be traced back to not some opinion, not some denomination, but to a book, chapter, and verse of scripture. It is so important that we get that out. Because the late Bishop Coleman used to say, if you know what's right, you'll know who's right. Mm. And, and so I think as we put truth out, we give people a choice of if they want to be saved, they'll have the necessary information to be saved. Absolutely. That's amazing. Well, I appreciate you again. And um, uh, those of the listening, y'all, please share this podcast. This is, this is as uh, Pastor Stevenson just said, this is truth. And it needs to be shared. It needs to be spread. It needs to be um, heard around the world. And you have the ability to help spread it by simply sharing it with somebody, you know, one person, two people. Share it. And uh, we appreciate you for that. Let's testify.